Welcome to the Pastors Podcast. Pastor Scott here with Pastor Brian. Hello. And Meredith Stores. Hi. Nice to be back together with you guys. Absolutely. It's uh, We're going to do a podcast today as a additional follow-up to the Manhood and Womanhood Conference. We did one... When did we do it? Dude, let's just... June. Cards on the table. June. This is a podcast of victory. This is a podcast of victory. <laughs> because Scott is here. I, I'm in the room. I mean, he in. We did not go to his house. My foot is elevated, but I am in the room. We are avoiding swelling of the ankle, <laughs> which is which. If, to be completely honest, is probably why this podcast is so delayed. Yes, <laughs> that's one of the reasons. It, was, it yeah. is. It's one of the reasons. You know, it was, we're like, oh well, like push it back a week or two, and then, um, and then I've been on tomorrow. We're recording this on Sunday. Tomorrow. It'll have been four weeks since my bike accident. Oh my gosh. A whole month, huh? That's Entire, crazy. I didn't realize it'd been so long. I, well, this is the problem, right? Because it happened at the beginning of my vacation and then it was 10 days, nine days, nine, 10 days before I had surgery. Wow. And so I had a week and a half of like yeah. negative time. Ugh. So it's only been two and a half weeks since the surgery, but four weeks total. That'll do it. Anyways. It's like half I, a summer. It is. I, we, we can go deeper into that. <laughs> You, you, me, and Matt will have a a, a podcast so this morning when I was on my way to church. This is my first time out of the house, not going to the doctors in a month. It's great. Um, Congratulations! Um, it's good to be here with you. But we were going to church this morning, and um, I pulled out the scooter. You know, I got like ride on the scooter. It's, I'm like, this is this is this like, is not this a vest, but it's like a no, knee scooter. The, the knee yeah. scooter that I'm gonna like ride on because um, the 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 crutches. Anyways, I can't like stand around on the crutches, so. Uh, and Addison asked me, she goes, are you going to ride the scooter? I said, yeah. She said, do you think Pastor Matt's going to make fun of you? <laughs> Did she really? She, that's what she asked. And, she knows him and so well. And then Lincoln answered, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the conversation in my house. So anyways, we should have that conversation. And I'll, I'll, yeah. may, maybe on a podcast, I'll tell the story. I should probably tell the story. You should tell the story and allow Matt to insert his appropriate jokes. For what throughout. it's worth, Matt has not you know. made fun of you. He, he has, has made not. fun of me through you. <laughs> Which Somehow I think is an amazing Brian. feat so of, of humor. <laughs> somehow. Every, every time I show up, like, you know, like, I'm going to be on the peg leg and he's going to spend the whole time making fun of you it's, for it's, when you were on the peg leg. In art and Not, science. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. So anyways, we'll, we'll make that its own. Okay. We'll make that its own. But we've been waiting to do this yes. and they kept getting pushed back and we put it on the calendar today. And honestly, I was just like, I, I just need something on the calendar. <laughs> So we're gonna so we're gonna do this one. We're gonna do this first, and then we'll I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell the story later. But so this one, what this one is, is a another follow up to the Manhood and Womanhood Conference, and um, part of that's because for those of you who have listened to the content, our heart wasn't just to do a con a conference and give you some information, but really is to continue in the journey of shaping our church family and how we understand manhood, womanhood, how we relate to one another as men and women, and um, how that works out in the life of the church. And so in this second follow-up podcast, the third one I'm told we're getting to head coverings in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm, that's what I'm told. We were promised but, that. So. Uh, that's what I said. <laughs> but in the second one... Um, I think that the natural question, Brian, is like, how do we get downstream? Like, what does this mean? What does this look like? How, how does this work out in the life of, uh, of our lives in the church? 
But you want to go back upstream. Like I was wondering what you were doing. Everybody's and that got, was pretty great. Everybody's got all these questions that are downstream. And mm-hmm. you're like, so you know that eight-hour <laughs> philosophical, <laughs> theological conference we had? So there's actually some things going on behind that. that we have I just really want to try and get theoretical. So in one sense, it does make me laugh. Uh, in another sense... I'm super thankful for this and I'm super thankful for your perspective in it because I, I recognize that actually without talking about some of the things that aren't specifically about men and women, but deeply impact us upstream, we actually are kind of left without the right tools to live this out in our lives. And so I, I appreciate the impetus to talk about some of these things that are upstream. So b- before we jump into some of those specific questions. Let, let me just let you describe then what, what you mean. <laughs> We're talking about issues that are <laughs> upstream from gender. Um, what are those issues and what, what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. It's always, it's always a river. How do you like that? Intro? Um, yeah. I'm, I, so there's uh, a thing that happens when we have very complicated topics of conversation Um Really, probably at any given time, but right now it's pretty clear when we talk about manhood and womanhood, that's a very like complicated topic. It's very uh, controversial. Anytime you have something like that, there's almost always something underneath or behind that conversation that's influencing it. So the reason it's the kind of mess that it can become and why it can be so difficult is not just because of the issue itself, but other issues that are kind of underlying assumptions mm-hmm. that begin to inform that conversation. So when I say upstream, it you know you could talk about rivers and how you know if someone's uh, there's an old there's an old foster care illustration, but like if you see some kids floating down a river that shouldn't be in a river, someone's got to pull those kids out, you know. But someone else should go upstream and figure out why are there kids in the river, you know, like mm-hmm. and, yeah. like there's a way that there's a there's a, a holistic nature to these conversations. And so when we do eight hours or, you know, and, and more yeah. <laughs> on manhood and womanhood about that directly, there should also be at some point us going, wait, why is this such a problem? And going back up to look at the other things that are contributing to the situation we find ourselves in. Okay. Okay. So like what? I mean, that's really my question. Like, Great like, question. What, what are the types of things that are, that, that feed into this that aren't specifically about gender? So I'll, I, I mean, we could focus on three or four. Um, just for this conversation, we can talk about the church, um, like what the church is. So how you think about what the church is, is going to really inform your, your understanding of how men and women function in the church and as Christians. Uh, let's talk about authority or leadership. You, you, if one of the questions revolves around, you know, questions like who's in charge, you're bringing an idea of authority and leadership to mm. the conversation mm. that's going to affect how you talk about men and women in terms of, you know, leadership and authority. Um, one is, uh, equality or freedom. What does it mean that people are equal, um, or free to do, you know, you know, what, what do those mean? If we have assumptions about that, it's going to color the conversation we have when it comes to gender. And another one that is a little broader is just kind of our, our moment in time, like, um, post industrial revolution, post, like the way our society is structured, um, is kind of unique compared to other times. And so if you don't know that, you think that there's no pros and cons to the way we structure society. That's just normal. Um, And then you can't see those pros and cons play out in the conversations we have or the struggles we have with things like gender. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think it's super helpful because I think it's 
so easy for us to assume, like, why do we even need to talk about this? We, we know what they are. Like, I know what the church is. I know what authority is. Right. I know what equality and freedom are. I understand the moment we're, we're taking, but without taking a careful look, we can bring assumptions that end up shaping us in certain directions um, in all sorts of ways. So why don't we just start then with, with the first of those, the, the church. How, how does our understanding of what the church is, how does that shape this, this uh, conversation? What, what is the church and how does maybe a misunderstanding of that impact us? So, um, you know, what is the church is kind of this giant big question, right? <laughs> you know, there's all these things we, can, we could talk about there. I think for our purposes, it's helpful to notice that we tend to think of the church today as an organization like other organizations today. Um, that's just kind of in the water a little bit. It, it's something that, uh, when everything around you is an organization of people that functions a certain way with certain priorities and certain understandings of itself, then you come to a church, it just kind of looks the same on the face of it. Sometimes you come in and go, yeah, we're singing different songs. We're doing different stuff, but basically we're just an organization with the same priorities and values and understandings of ourselves. That's going to color how you understand men and women in that organization. And so the thing we tried to present in uh, at the conference was the church as family more than organization. And obviously all the, you know, the church is the church. All these, all these things are analogies that they, they can fall apart upon like really close scrutiny, but family is, you know, the Bible calls the church, the family of the household of God. Mm -hmm. It really uses family language. It's not a, a stretch to say that the church is much more of a family than it is an organization. And so that's going to color the way we think about manhood and womanhood especially when we're talking about things like uh, leadership or roles, because you're going to have uh, the idea of an organization um, that's going to, you know, organizations are hierarchical. They're, they're based on the pyramid. You know, someone's in charge mm -hmm. and someone, you know, and there's someone who's less in charge, but more in charge than the next people. <laughs> yeah, and that's how organizations work. And they do that based on like skill set. The person who has oh. the best skills goes the highest in the org chart. And that's not how a family works. Mm. Families mm -hmm. don't like elevate someone to the status of like, I don't know, mom, because they have to be really good at a certain set of things. Like moms are moms. Get fired from being mom and one of your children <laughs> is like, I would like that job. I see you've, you know, not met your goals this quarter. So. And that is the best reason. And it's a phenomenal <laughs> like illustration a of why we shouldn't do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so, I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. So you kind of have organizations trying to produce a lot. They're about production of a certain thing. So they're, they're organized or oriented towards getting something done, especially for the business, right? If it's a business, you're maximizing profit. You're, I don't know, producing a way, you know, you're, you're producing something. Um, whereas families aren't about production in that way. They mm -hmm. don't orient everything around producing a certain outcome, like in terms of a tangible thing or an amount of money or something like that. They're about essentially discipleship, about growth, in terms of a much larger kind of sense of, so you can immediately see how those two things are very different and how uh, men and women in an organization are going to end up hopelessly opposed to each other. Mm. Um, mainly because everyone's opposed to each other, by the way, it's not just like a, like just because of gender, but you're battling on skill set. So if, if you have different roles, that's going to be completely inappropriate unless you have different skill sets. Mm -hmm. um, there's no sense of anything that's not tangible, that's not reducible, that's not quantifiable. There's no way to do that. All you have is this sense that, well, my skill set should put me here, you know, uh, on the organizational chart because I'm good at making the product. 
And if you think about the church that way, you can see how difficult that can be because if men and women have different roles, now you're saying that they're not equally skilled, mm-hmm. right? But if the church is a family, it's just gonna be really different. You're gonna, it, of course, different role, you know, moms and dads are different. And, you know, the, the easiest example, moms and dads are different. And that's not like an expression of worth. It's not an expression even of skill set. Mm-hmm. It's they're just different and they're gonna occupy mom and dad things. And right now I want to immediately throw to the conference and understand I'm not talking about specific activities, you know, that kind of thing. But there's a great example of how, you know, uh, something upstream, if you think the church is an organization, you're really going to have a hard time understanding what we say to the conference Mm. yeah, because it's not going to make a lot of sense. This is one of the ones that like, I, it constantly trips me up because I love an org chart. Mm. I love knowing who's in charge of me so that I can do all the things appropriate to make sure that they're happy with me. I love being in charge of other people underneath. And mm-hmm. so like I'm constantly having to kind of unlearn that structure. There's a place for that in the world. And, you know, there are ways in which that can be helpful. But I'm constantly going back to this like, no, these these are my brothers. These are part members of my family. And so this is the one where I feel like the most sense of like, oh, this is the water we swim in. And I have to like unlearn mm. um just this kind of culture I was raised in of of what an organization is. Okay. So and I think partially too because and that's not just like in the water in the world, right? That's because in American evangelicalism Lots of churches have taken on mm-hmm. the structure of orcs. I mean, technically, aren't we really a nonprofit well, yeah, yeah, organization? Right, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and and I think most a, a lot of times we've taken our leadership, um, the model models yeah, from and skills from the world, and said, right. "Oh, that's that's that seems to here. work." Yep let's let's, let's structure ourselves that way. Yeah. How, how have you seen that impact? Whether it's yours or others' sense of even their own manhood and womanhood, um, I in that. I think something that became really obvious to me um, several years back, like when the like Me Too move, movement became like kind of front and center, is this question of representation mm. and this this really strong desire to be like, I need there to be exact equal numbers. I need there to be like this many men and this many women. I need to see the right people mm. in the right like title levels to feel as though it's safe and fair. And so I, I personally struggled with that. I felt that from other people of just this question of, you know, can a group of people take care of each other, love each other well, unless you filled the org chart appropriately. Mm. And that's just not the model you see in scripture. Mm. And, and I then in, working with you guys and in just being involved in the life of Cornerstone over the years, I don't think it's the best way. Like Mm. pure representation doesn't necessarily end up in like good growth and discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're not the same. Yeah. It's not just about numbers. Well, and you know, what's interesting is even as you say that it, it makes me think that for a organization in the world, in a fallen world, that might be the best solution, right? For an organization that's not a church, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, some type of setups that require representation and voice and things like that might be the right solutions. And and so it's not even 
It doesn't require a critique. No, it doesn't require a critique of the move. Right. To say, actually, that's not the most important thing in the life of the church. We're just saying that, the, but the church isn't an organization. It's not. And like, I felt so much freedom as we were developing the content for this and, and doing research and talking with each other. I'm like, oh, like the women don't have to check all these boxes and do these exact things that the men in the church are doing. Like that's actually, we have the freedom mm. to say no to certain official titles, roles, and responsibilities so that we have more capacity to do, use our gifts in other ways. And, and it was less about like women can or can't do certain things and more like, oh yes, we don't have to do X and Y so that we can do Z and Q, mm. you know, or whatever. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. Okay. So I, I mean, I, we could probably talk for a full hour about the church's organization. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I think one of the things that's really helpful, Brian, as you've, I know even just taught me about this as we've talked and helped me see that, <laughs> well, I think what, what we all want is we want to know like the one thing that's upstream. Like the thing that's the real problem, right? right? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, the rest so yeah, and then everything else gets fixed, right? We we want a simple world like that, but it doesn't doesn't actually work like that. It's not just that there's one thing upstream; there's multiple things. Um, wh- what else is upstream that's that makes this harder for us? Yeah, they, I mean, it's even worse because they're all re- kind of related, sort of. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So the Gordian knot that you can't like untie. Um, mm. And and in, in that sense, it's probably important to say, like, yeah, like we're you know the. The move is not to try and fix all of this, like to create the utopia we mm. know the world ought to be. Oh, come on. Um, you know, <laughs> and that's kind of our activist kind of nature, right? It we is. want to, we want to like, no, okay, yeah. we'll fix it. And that's not to say there's nothing to do, um, but it, it, it's recognizing these things helps us have better conversations and helps us live where we are in a more faithful way. And so that, that's the goal here is not, you know, cool, we figured it out. Yeah. Now let's shoot these things down one by one and fix it. Um, it's way beyond our pay grade. Well, that'll help us with the application and all the yeah. downstream questions is to be able to say, okay, so here are some things that are factoring in and how we can either unlearn or reshape or like, you know, we're never going to fix all of the things, but. Yeah. And it's all contextual in that sense. So like something that we here will have to um, maybe overemphasize because of like a dearth of that thing, say, you know, in our context, someone in another country who's a Christian might have to do something different um, based on the same truth. You know, the the right. same thing we're trying to get at, we have different things upstream. So that's going to color things downstream mm-hmm. in, in a way. Yeah. So, the, the, but, yeah. so another one would be um, authority and leadership. Mm-hmm. So, and these are related, right? Mm-hmm. So organization, we think of authority and leadership almost exclusively in terms of organizations um, and who's in charge of those organizations. So the pyramid, the kind of the org chart vibe talks about, you know, authority and leadership is essentially the amount of power you have been given based on the skill set you have. Mm -hmm. So that's what gets you where you are and what allows you to be in charge. It's because you are worth being in charge because of how good you can be at being in charge. Mm -hmm. Um, And that means that you should, you know, have your middle managers and have, <laughs> and you should organize everything that way. But then authority becomes, we talked about in the conference, it becomes power over. Mm. So we tend to think of authority as power over other people. Um, and, and part of that, uh, we tend to think that way is because 
a lot of times we've been in positions where we don't have power over someone has power over us. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I, I giggle a little because there's a way that's a common experience, you mm-hmm. know, as you're young, you get maybe a, your first job and you're at the lowest one on the totem pole, you know, and, uh, and someone, all these people have power over you at the same time, you know, it's not really a laughing matter when you think about how often people have used power over someone else yeah. to get away with a ton of stuff, mm-hmm. some of yeah. which is really awful and traumatic. Yeah. So the way that we are kind of conditioned to see the world, partially because that's how we see the world kind of in our modern, you know, time is based on who has power over whom. And partly because we've, a lot of us have personally experienced someone using their mm. position, their power that they got because of some skill set in a way that's not fair and not loving and not just to take advantage of us or someone around us. Yeah. And so when you think about that as your understanding, like basically authority and leadership are things someone has to earn. And then typically once they've earned, they abuse. Hmm. So like if this is your understanding of power <laughs> and leadership, then you take that to the conversation about gender, about men and women, even in the church, and you start realizing, okay, now I'm immediately reading everything with suspicion hmm. um, because my job is to make sure that no one has power over me to take advantage of me and that that definitely doesn't intersect with whether I'm a man or a woman. So especially if you're a woman, there's kind of a, you know, there's a narrative that says that the role is not the role, the, um, the job description, the way to think about authority is always negative and to get as many people who are women in positions of authority so that nothing negative can happen. It's a little less negative. Yeah. So is this, are we just talking about like leadership styles or like a hierarchical leadership versus a flat leadership? Or is there a Christian leadership style? Like, right. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's a really good what question. What about that? So um, in one sense, we're talking about leadership in general because the word leadership sells a lot of like books to middle managers. Um, <laughs> but I think for most people, leadership is just a sentimental word that indicates authority. Mm. Um, and so either it's cute because you don't really have any authority, but you're a leader or it's dangerous because you're a leader, but that really means you have authority and that can be dangerous. At the very least, it means that um in the church and outside the church to have authority means to be in charge and it means to be the one who gets your way. Yeah. Yeah. It's a power question. Yeah. And so in that sense, the, when people, especially uh, in the church, one of the big questions because of how we do leadership at Cornerstone, which is a plurality of leadership. So you have these elders, none of whom is in charge, none of whom gets the, the final say, but we all have to do it together and come to unanimity it, there's a lot of inefficiency there. And people, the very first question we're asked, no matter what, for the last 15 years, has always been, who gets to make the real decision? Who's the tiebreaker? Yeah. Yeah. How, who gets yep. to, who's really mm. in charge? And that tells you that we think about authority and even in the church leadership yeah. in terms of a decision making, it's my way, I'm the one that gets to choose, which is just a fast. So you can see how that can, if, if you're in the church and you hear something like this church only has male pastors. Like immediately that gets Only interpreted men get their way. Exactly. Yeah. Only. And, and, and the, by definition, that's an aggressive move that disenfranchises women in the church because it means if that's what authority is, then I guess women don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. And, and only men get their way and only men get to have power in the church, which is a, a fascinating way of thinking about it. So you can see how that upstream colors the way we have that conversation. Okay. So you mentioned efficiency and this isn't part of our list, but I, f- I feel like our understanding and appreciation of efficiency is also maybe an upstream 
dynamic because Mm. this is very inefficient. And the reason that Mm. structures exist is so you can be efficient and profitable. And these are things that we value. And you see Jesus constantly taking the long route and spending (laughs) time with people and doing things that were about personal investment, not about like efficiency of numbers and like metrics in the same way that sometimes business speak um, gets kind of caught up in. Families are the most inefficient thing there. I mean, like it, it's extraordinarily inefficient. And we, yeah, have it, you ever tried to put shoes on a toddler? Oh my like, gosh. That is so inefficient. If you've ever, well, we, this was, uh, if you were in the book club, we just finished uh, Alan Noble's You Are Not Your Own. And he talks about how society is structured around efficiency and how you can see it in the way we think of self-improvement in mm-hmm. the reason you can't rest the reason that you need to use your rest to be more productive. Cause if you mm-hmm. don't rest, you're not as productive. Like he talks about how it is, it is upstream. Mm-hmm. And the reason why authority has to be uh, this way is because if it's not, it's inefficient. If it's inefficient, it, then we're not doing what humans are built to do, which mm-hmm. is to maximize what we want. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Cause I, uh, so I was just maybe a little bit of field, but I, I think it actually gets into this. I was just, talking with my kids the other day and, and I was realizing particularly with my teenagers that for, for the last season, it hasn't been a, a super long time, but last season, the vast majority of time we've interact been interacting is like business, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's logistics, it's things I need to teach them. It's things we need to read together or go over or kind of intentional discipleship, Right. It's, it's very, it's structured and intentional. And I, I realized it was kind of feeling it, it, um, kind of apologized to them and said, Hey, like, let's, let's just spend some time just together. Right. Doing something Mm -hmm. connecting. But as I was reflecting on it afterwards, I'm like, but, but if I don't do it now, like, when are we going to do it? Like, I don't, I don't have, a, I don't have any There's other time so to do time. this, right? This is, yeah, this is like, this is all we got. Um, and I was feeling the pinch of the inefficiency of the makeup of a family. Even though you're, you're around each other a lot, there's just this, it's, it's so inefficient to get certain things done quickly, whether it's with toddlers mm-hmm. or teenagers or, you know, really any formation of a family or extended family or whatever. And it, I was struck by your sermon this morning, Brian, just a reminder of the organic nature of growth. Mm. And when we forget about the organic nature of growth and we try to organize and facilitate and, and make growth happen, it not only kind of morphs and uh, disfigures the family because we end up treating it more business-like and treating dis- the discipleship of our kids more programmatic than relational. Mm. The, that disfiguring disfigures our manhood and womanhood. It disfigures how we, when the family prizes efficiency and busyness, that tweaks how we live together mm-hmm. as men and women in the world and in the church. And these are the types of things that I, we, don't, we don't think about mm-hmm. and then wonder why we feel so much pressure right. in a certain direction to try to... Um, these are the things that are fighting against the biblical manhood and womanhood we mm. yeah we, i am really about. interested in thinking and discussing um about how we treat 
the postpartum experience for women. Mm, and it's very inefficient, especially, I mean, if you're breastfeeding, if you're feeding in any capacity, like hopefully you're feeding your child, yeah. please. <laughs> uh, but however you're feeding your child, there's a lot of sitting. There's a lot of quiet. There's a lot of not feeling like you're producing mm. and in a structure or a world that values production, you, you start to feel like I'm wasting all this time, mm. but it's not wasted. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's a, a specific example that relates, you know, to certain women's experience, but I think there's ways in which our womanhood or our manhood requires us sometimes to do things that are not going to feel as productive Mm. where the growth doesn't look measurable. Mm. You know, it's not a smart goal, sustainable, measurable, attainable, whatever it is. You know, it's like, but realistic, being and, realistic and timely, I think. I oh, yeah. yeah, there was. All right. <laughs> I do these. You didn't finish it. I, I was like, ah, oh, you have too long. <laughs> um, but, but to, to devalue that time that a mother needs to care for her baby in that season misses the beauty and the richness of that part of a woman's experience. Mm. And I think that that is probably analogous to other avenues of our, our experiences, men and women, mm. where these upstream issues then cause that friction. And we're like, why do I feel so miserable? And it's because everything around me is saying like, this isn't efficient. This isn't structured. This is an imbalance of power. This is a, you know, whatever. And so I think by sort of lifting the weight off our back there and and recognizing that that's not the ultimate value we should be striving for. It allows us to rest in the beauty of the gospel. It allows us to exist as God made us and, and is um, it, it brings so much more peace. Mm. Well, and that's the issue I think with, if you ground authority and the, these two do go together. So you have the kind of organizational mindset and you have the, the idea of authority as power over as being in charge, being mm -hmm. the decision maker based on your skill sets, based on, you know, uh, your abilities, then men and women um, end up having to sort of compete over, like uh, to prove their worth yeah. instead of have to express how they're made. So when you go to in the, the office and it's built on authority, you have to leave how you're made at the door because you now are about proving your skill set mm -hmm. at what you need to be good at to excel here. And if you're a man or woman, it not only does it not matter, it can't matter mm -hmm. because it gets in the way yeah. of the single-minded devotion of production and of, right. you know, proving that worth, proving that skill set that you're good enough to be the one in charge, which oddly enough makes you feel a lot more safe to be in charge. So your own internal sense of like safety and not being taken, taken advantage of is tied into, so all of this just really uh, competes against any sense of man and womanhood being good things. Mm -hmm. At best, they're neutral. Um, and really, even if they're neutral, they're probably in your way. Which is lame. That just really messes that things, yeah, no, that's, that's like, really messes things up. All right, so, okay, so we talked about organization, or ch church's organization, we talked about leadership and authority, we talked about efficiency, all of which are kind of related. Um, what one of the other ones you mentioned though, Brian? Uh, it seems like in a different, it seems more different, and that's the issue of our understanding of equality and freedom. 
what what do you what do you mean by that? Like, how does that? Yeah. Um, so it is different in one sense because we, you know, there's there's a, actually it's the same too. I'm like, oh, well, you know, it, it's it, there's ways in which it's not uniquely American, but it's very Western in some ways. Uh-huh. Like we really mm-hmm. value the idea of, you know, uh, every individual having equality with every other individual. And that's a driving force. There's a lot of upside to that, by the way. Right. <laughs> like, so for sure. Don't even talk down. There's a lot of ways that that's really worked Brian out well. Hates yeah. Freedom. yeah. <laughs> like a big fan. Um, but there's ways that our conception of it can move past. Let's make sure that, you know, people aren't treated unfairly, like as a class or group. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and it can move into a kind of every individual has to be interchangeable with every other individual. Otherwise, we've we've lost the plot. There's not real quality, mm. or there's not. Yeah, real. and that that really messes with with gender in particular mm-hmm. because it means that y- it flattens everything out. So mm-hmm. everything has to be um, completely translatable. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I, it's kind of dumb, but I think about um, that old like '90s commercial with Michael Jordan. It was it was Mia Hamm, I think. Hmm. Um, where it was anything you can do, I can do better. I'm too young for that. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, <laughs> but you know, so she, you know, he shoots a you know a three pointer, and then she shoots a three pointer, mm-hmm. and she kicks a soccer goal, and he kicks a soccer goal, and they're both very competitive. And and you know, and it's like McDonald's commercial or something. I can't remember the, the whole thing. <laughs> but um, but there's this kind of thought where it's like, well, let's see how Michael does it having a baby. Right. Um, <laughs> like like at some point, the very way that they set up the competition required them to not be gendered. Yeah. So mm. like, like there's a way like that we what had, can your muscles and skeleton do? Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, obviously having a baby isn't the end all of being a woman, but it's just this very clear uh, way in which yep. th- you can't, that's not translatable. It's okay. not transferable. Okay. So this is where I feel like we need to talk about the menstrual cycle Okay. and I hope you'll let me go there. But please, as a woman, <laughs> your hormones rotate throughout the month and there are ways in which like when you have certain hormonal highs in the like life cycle of your menstrual cycle, you can get more done. You have a lot higher capacity. And then there are seasons in which you need to sort of rest, regroup, kind of turn a little bit more inward. And there's a way in which like a a typical productive schedule means you need to be exactly the same and be consistently Mm. productive every single month or day of the month. And women's bodies actually aren't built that way. Hmm. And so our our workplace structures require that we pretend that we're not having this hormonal cycle every 28 various days. Mm. And so, you know, apart from childbearing, which is a whole area in which the workplace struggles, there's really a lot more happening inside a female body that isn't quite as systematized as, you know, a, a efficient workplace would require. So you, you do have to leave that at the door. Hmm. And that's something that almost all women would experience in some form or another. And then, you know, Uh, okay. So I know you have lots of questions. I will not answer all of them. I I think actually I have have a lot of questions in in the, hopefully in in, in the, in a helpful way. I'm curious from your perspective, if you have any idea of what a community Hmm. that takes that into consideration would look like. Because like, because even as you described it, I'm like, I don't like. That's well. <laughs> this is really interesting. Let me answer my own question. Okay, it'd probably look like a family. Mm-hmm. It would have to, right? In it a family, to. in a family, 
Because I'm like, I'm like, how would that, how would you even take that into consideration, right? Like in a organization, this is this is the mm-hmm. upstream stuff that's affecting me, right? In an organization, I'm like, I can't even imagine. Like, what's the system? Like, how do you in a family you do it because you're used to ebbing and flowing around mm-hmm. one another. You're used mm-hmm. to making up for one another and caring for one another and stepping mm-hmm. in and stepping back. Right. There's a, a built-in flexibility in, in a family. Um Okay. Anyways, that, that was that was my answer to my question. But how, how would you imagine that I, working out such, in a community? That's such a great kind of step into it because you know I don't want to I won't require you to divulge your family business, but it, yeah. you do get to know the people that you're around Absolutely. and that you're closest with, and you yeah. get to know seasons in which things are harder and easier, depending on all sorts of things that could be going on with them personally. Yeah. And so flexibility mm. and um, the way in which we can reject certain standards of productivity are going to be helpful so that we can honor people as they are mm. and where they're at. And and I think this would also tie into questions about ability and disability mm-hmm. and just the value of people in the life of the church. If the most valuable members of the church are the most productive, the ones who are evangelizing the most or praying the most or involved in the most churchy organ like activities then that's going to set up a hierarchy of some kind in the church mm. and really to honor the members of the family for all the different strengths that they bring, the different seasons in which they bring those strengths is going to look like needing to reevaluate and have flexibility and ask the question like that worked six months ago. How are we doing now? You know, what are the needs now when in the life of the church, especially when you have um, people who, well, I mean, maternity leave is, I guess, the most like connected to the conversation about men and women. But, yeah. you know, when a new family brings in a child, they're not going to have the same capacity to serve that they had a year before that child was born. Mm. And so what I see beautifully modeled in the church is like, okay, well, they're going to step away for a little while while they're spending more of their time and energy investing in their own child at home. And the rest of us are going to shift and we're going to bear one another's burdens. And we're going to create a structure that doesn't break when one key super important person needs to step back because Mm. they're a human with a life. (laughs) And then it's also going to change how we value each other. You know, there are lots of people who are incredible mentors and like just wise older members of our church who we don't see as often up front, but it's because of the unique makeup of their own family structure or the, the things that they're spending their time on and investing in yeah. right now in the season. Yeah. And they're still wonderful, important, valuable members of the family yeah. just because they're not like preaching on a Sunday or mm. singing in the you know band or whatever. So this is the problem with equality. Mm-hmm. Like we're thinking of it this yeah. way. So the upstream yeah. issue is that if, if there's a kind of equality that says that in order to be equal, we have to all compete. Mm-hmm. I mean, compete has come up a lot because of the efficiency and productivity mm. stuff is under, under the surface. But you, if you have to step back because in your example, you know, a couple that had a child, maybe um, that can only be an indicator of their lack of ability to have value in that moment. Mm. And, but let's make some structures to make sure they can step back in and have value as soon as they can. 
you know, let's respect that they don't have value now, but they will. <laughs> At some level, that, and so, so yeah. the idea of, of equality as that kind of flattened interchangeability, as reduced to skill set, as requires you to look at your gender as something that constrains your freedom and constrains your value, um, not something that directs it. Mm. So mm-hmm. like your, you know, your, your, uh, uh, your femaleness or maleness is only something that can get in the way. It's mm-hmm. never something that can, that can really help you. And if it does assert itself, it's asserting itself in a way you'd prefer it not yeah. in kind of the game we're all playing yeah. because that's how, if equality is interchangeability, then something that makes you not interchangeable means that you're, you've got weight around your feet. Right. And so it, it becomes really problematic for value, for, for liability. Yeah. yeah it's, a big, it's a big problem. So if you think that way, you're going to have a really hard time with gender and you're going to have a hard time understanding the way we might want to say that someone's. Uh, gender can direct their freedom mm-hmm. can that equality looks different and looks like being led by an expression of how we're made um, and not let's flatten it all out and make sure that everyone's competing on a quote unquote level playing field, which really means not being male or female and not being a lot of other things too, by the oh, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's all, so you, talk, you bring up yeah. disability, like there's a whole yeah. slew of other things that are, that are wrapped up in this, mm-hmm. but you can see how that's going to, you know, you think that way it's going to affect the way you think about men and women and it's going to make the conversation a lot harder. And I do think that there's ways in which kind of right now, culturally, we think about our gender as a liability and, and that's really sad. And I think that that's like, if that's where kind of, as you're listening to this content and trying to wrap your head around it, if that's hanging you up, if you're like, ah, oh, but I don't want to nurture, I don't want to guard, or I like, these things are hard. It's, you know, some of the conversation is about, well, let's, let's step back a little. Let's talk about equality or freedom or, you know, what the church is, what your role in the world is. And mm. and sometimes those questions will help you get to more of a sense of like mm-hmm. resolution on your questions related to gender. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why I, I love the, when we talk about things that are upstream, like it's not just the problems that come upstream, but the, the solutions come from upstream mm-hmm. too. So, you, you know, even as both of you were talking, I think, well, like I want to know how to, again, manufacture the solution so we don't have to do is, but the reality is when you nurture a culture of um, flexibility and accommodation and kindness, mm-hmm. right, that isn't about competition and kind of this strict vision of equality, but, but it's about um, the flexibility and understanding and, and, and maximizing, then as that moves downstream, it makes being gendered so much easier. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because you're in a place that is, um, because whether it's your gender or something else, it might take all sorts of different forms. The difference, mm-hmm. or the different, might take all sorts of different forms. And you're like, well, how do we accommodate for every single form? Well, we do by a culture of kindness and flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both in our world and in the church, where we get off is when we try to build the systems to accommodate for every possible thing um which is a false hope like mm-hmm. we we can't do it we just we don't have the right. capacity to um but when we nurture a uh increasingly nurture uh, a culture of um that views freedom as god-given and uh have the flexibility to genuinely live it out it Know, takes different forms. So anyways, I, I, don't, I don't know if that, that'll make sense. But well, underneath all of it, it's probably important to point out is purpose. Mm-hmm. 
So like, I mean, now we're getting like all the way up the stream, I guess, but there's a way that if you think of your life as something that you are meant to solely enjoy on your own terms, or if you think of life as about production or justifying yourself and think of life, there's a million reasons why Mm -hmm. you could have uh, similar to the idea that I have to, I have to rest. Otherwise it won't work as hard. You know, like I'll get burnt out. I won't be able to produce as much as way as you you can get to rest different ways than the right way. Mm. And you can get to kindness and fairness and flexibility for a lot of different reasons. But ultimately I think what we're trying to get at um, as Christians is to get really internalized a sense that our life is about glorifying God by enjoying him. Mm. Our, our life, you know, um, this is the, the noble book comes up again, you know, mm-hmm. what's your only hope in life and death that we are not our own, but belong to God, body and soul, you know? Um, and that the, uh, the way that that's going to guide you, if that's what our purpose is, is we're living on, on God's good pleasure mm-hmm. in a world he made that is, you know, uh, we're bolted to him in his sufficiency and, and existence and life in himself. And he has for us in his good pleasure, a way of living that's about him that fulfills ourselves. Then of course you're going to be flexible, not because it happens to correspond to a certain definition of fairness, Mm -hmm. but because life is about living out how God made you and finding your fullness in that, in his good pleasure that way Mm -hmm. and living together as a family that way. So it's just, so at some level, if you adjust what we're here for, a lot of these things do begin to not fall in line, but get easier to see holes in where when you're, you grow up and you're living with these ideas, Mm -hmm. it can be very difficult to poke holes in them because they're part of your, your mental makeup almost. Mm. So you change that and it just gets easier to see them deflate Mm and go, ah, right. That's a really weird way to think about equality when my life is about myself and others expressing how God made them to be in his good pleasure for his purposes and finding wholeness in that. Hmm. Well, that's, that's really helpful. And I think actually answers the question, kind of the, the overarching question I I had, which was, uh, what do we do about this? Right. Why talk about these things? Um, I think part of it's to both expose them. So we see that this isn't quite as simple as just listen to an eight hour conference and it's all, it's all fixed. Um, But also that the, the hope is, the hope is the byproduct of a God-centeredness, of, a, of an increasing God-centeredness in our heart that understands ourselves and the world as revolving around uh, his purpose and for his worship um, that isn't the, the na- nature of our flesh, isn't the nature mm-hmm. of the world around us, isn't the nature of what the enemy wants us to believe, but is how God is transforming us and how he's, he's building us into. And, and in a sense, the the way forward is the journey of sanctification, right? Of becoming more like Christ and understanding him more. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, as, as we wrap up, we're pretty much running out of time, but any, uh, any last thoughts you want to leave with people, either of you on, uh, as we think about the things that are upstream and the encouragements, particularly for our people as they battle with the things that are upstream for them. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to go with this stream analogy. I this actually made me think about you mentioned a couple times in the conference about working against the grain that sometimes when we go against the grain of what how we're made that that causes like struggle and suffering and so if we're talking about like the stream if you're trying to swim yeah. upstream or nope hmm 
<laughs> so you oh, want to go with there. the you want to go with <laughs> the stream. Okay, I think I got this. You want to go with the stream. You want to you some things you struggle with because we're trying to fight against how we're made. Fight against the natural flow of things. Sometimes we struggle because we hit rocks on the way because we're living in like a mm-hmm. world that is sinful and struggling. And so as you're thinking about whatever topics come up for you in this topic around manhood and womanhood, we can start having conversations and asking the questions like, is this because I'm fighting against, I'm going against the grain of the wood, or is this because I'm, I'm running into just the fallen nature of the world? Mm. And I think, you know, not that you have to perfectly pick it apart because it's always going to be a little bit of a combo of, of both, but there's the sin and the suffering and the, the fighting how we're made versus like just we're also living in a fallen world. And so some of finding a way to hope and, and just pursuing um, growth in this area may be uncovering ways that you're fighting or just acknowledging where the world is broken and resting in the hope that God's going to make it all new one day. Yeah, that's really good. I, I think a lot about, you know, the, um, the emperor has no clothes. Mm. Um, like I, I think it's easy to throw kind of rocks at culture around you. I mean, you don't have to be Christian to do it. It's, mm. you know, like almost everyone can find a bunch of reasons to be like, yeah, look at these upstream issues and downstream issues. And, and, and it, you know, I don't, I think that's important too. Like, obviously we had a whole podcast on it. So I'm not like anti across the board, but I think the reason, the reason why I find this helpful and the reason why I think it can be helpful for other people is because it can show you the emperor has no clothes on. Mm. And there's a way that you kind of walk around and this stuff is in your head and it's around you. And people talk this way, like so often in ways we don't even see that you forget that it's not a compelling vision for being human, mm. that it actually is really, I keep pulling uh, stuff from Noble's book, but it's very inhuman. That's part of his subtitle. Like it's, it's a way that mitigates against, it, it's kind of fighting against how humans are actually meant to flourish. Right. And what he says is what ends up happening is we tend to use the same tools that got us in this mess to try and get us out. Mm. So, you know, technique got us in the mess. We're going to use more technique to get us out mm. or something along those lines. It's really wise. And similarly here, we tend to think that, you know, if our conception of authority and organizations and the purpose of life as production and efficiency and maximization and uh, interchangeability as equality, because that's the only thing that can keep us safe and freedom is the ability to reinvent ourselves at will and, and no one and have total perfect you know sovereignty over the self. If we keep thinking of that as if that's creating these problems that we see in some ways in society as a result of sin, then using those things to get out of it is not going to work. Mm, yeah. And so we have to begin to go, the emperor has no clothes on and it's just not beautiful. <laughs> like it's not, it's not attractive. It's, it's something that does not give me a vision for being human and being male and female that right. feels compelling and joyful and expressive. And as though those things are honorable and good and right, um, there's a way to do that. And so I think having these things, no, seeing these things upstream allows you to go, I, I'm getting pitched that every day. And everyone, now I see it in a commercial or now mm-hmm. I see it in a memo from HR or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I work at a church. But like, but like, you know, now I see it here and here and here and here and here in these conversations. I hear you see it in my own head. And, and I all of a sudden have this one moment where I can take a step back and go, wait, there's no beauty there. Mm-hmm. There's no hope there. Yeah. There's no, that's, that's not going to help. That's only going to drive us further into the mess that we all feel like we're in. So maybe there's a better vision 
of mm-hmm. life and goodness and wholeness. And maybe that's even includes my manhood or womanhood as a part of that. That's the goal for me. Cause I think all of a sudden you switch it and you're like, Oh, I, I see a, a beauty. I actually want to move forward mm. in this. Oh, yeah. And I know the whole, the kind of the whole world doesn't see it. Some, it feels that way sometimes, but, but it's still beautiful. And so I'm kind of going to still go after it and feel like I can be settled in my own skin about it as I grow in it. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's, that's the beauty of it. And I hope there's, there's some kind of, as you're navigating the, you know, your own swimming upstream and the, and the rocks and like tree stumps and stuff that you see in the way, <laughs> I think that's actually a really good analogy as you're doing that to be able to go. Yeah, but this is going with the way I'm made by God is actually the right, beautiful way to go. Yeah. Even when I'm hitting all these things along the way, mm. there's more beauty as I keep going this way than there is anywhere else. Right. And so if I can kind of help navigate those waters, then that's all the better for all of us. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. And I think, uh, I, I just want to thank you because I think this conversation and so much of the ways that both of you are just helping us think about this, help us see that beauty, mm-hmm. right? Help us see the, the, the captivating and um, beautiful design that God has created that does <laughs> in so many fascinating ways in and of itself, just expose the emptiness of mm-hmm. the alternatives that the world has to offer. That's really why I love talking about this and what, like, because it always pulls me back to who God is and how Mm. just enamored I am with like his person and how he designed the world. And it's like, Oh my gosh, it's so brilliant the way it works together. And, (laughs) um, and I find the more that I think and talk about this, it really draws me to worship. And, um, and I, I hope that that's true for you guys as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for listening. We pray that this will, this has, again, stoked the fires of your worship as it has ours. And we are uh, thankful for you and thankful for the ways that we hope these, these conversations are ongoing, not just among us, but uh, among you as well as we continue to um, navigate this journey as God's children, as men and women in this world together. So thanks for listening. We love you. And we'll see you on Sunday.